suppose what your faith has said is essentially correct. Suppose there is a universal mind controlling everything, a god willing the behavior of every semitopic particle. Well, every particle has an antiparticle, its mirror image, its negative side. Maybe this universal mind resides in the mirror image instead of in our universe as we wanted to believe. Maybe he's anti-god, bringing darkness instead of light. Sort of like how some filmmakers have brought darkness instead of light to the world of H.P. Lovecraft. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide through the world of cinematic Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be reviewing John Carpenter's 1987 classic and the second in his Apocalypse trilogy, Prince of Darkness. And now it's been a while, James, since we did a spiritual Lovecraft adaptation. And of course, the last time we did it, it was John Carpenter. And so now we of return, course. Yeah, now we return <laughs> to John Carpenter. And I said to James in a text message as I was watching Prince of Darkness, because I rewatched it the other day. It was the first time I'd seen it in, I think... Going on 10 years, I think. It's been a while since I've seen this movie uh, last time. And I, and I texted oh, wow. it and I said, bold words, this may be the perfect Lovecraft film. And it has nothing to do with the author, with the source material, at least in the sense of on the surface. It has nothing to do. And yet it's still maybe exactly the kind of thing that I've been yearning for in these Lovecraft adaptations that are, that are so sorely missing. Oh no, and that's and that's kind of why I love it so much. I mean, spoiler alert, like I I know I adore this film. Like this is a film that I think is a John Carpenter film that for years was kind of like the not forgotten, but almost like looked over. Mm-hmm. I f- it feels like it's been looked over, especially when you have something as huge as the thing, mm-hmm. like as the first part of this apocalypse trilogy, and then even the film right before this one that he made, which was Big Trouble in Little China, which is such a fun, rollicking, action, you know, adventure movie. This one is like, and like you said, you, I think another text you said was like, this is so bleak. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, that's why it's perfect. This is, this is, this is like if somehow you could take the essence of Lovecraft, like the books, the stories and everything, the good stuff, mm-hmm. and squeeze it out, squeeze all the good juice out. And have like a really good smoothie, like a Lovecraft smoothie without all the racism and the other questionable things. This one, you know, you have a cast of characters and it's really like it's kind of a lot of things, too. It's like Lovecraft mixed with like almost like a haunted house type feel. Yeah. It's in a haunted church. Like it's not haunted, but, you know, like it's it's like this thing you can't even explain. It's like a and that's what I love. Like and then the little glimpses behind the mirror, Mm -hmm. like this hand, like from another dimension like you don't even know and then but he also took from the the Quatermass series from the BBC mm-hmm. and he kind of like mixed all these great things up like like you know Quatermass was like this awesome character like in that you know what actually when i think about it, these are other films we should cover at some point the Quatermass series they have a very bleak but like the really the um, the through line with those ones is the same Professor Bernard Quatermass, who is like having to f- battle like just evil, just evil stuff. You know, like just you don't know what they are, and it's like, and then, and that one, the first one was in 1953, which is a, like, and it was originally made for like the BBC television. So okay, um, so it's it's a cool little series, and then they, I think they made a remake up. I think they made one in 2005. So that's like okay, how recent this character got to. So. 
there's always more they can do with this character. But going back to Prince of Darkness, I remember. I don't know if you remember the first time you saw this film, like 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 years ago, like when you sat down. Like, did you see it in the guise of oh, okay? I'm a John Carpenter fan. Let me watch this. Or did you see it just randomly in a in another way? I I saw it if I remember correctly. I believe because I I've, I've always been a big fan of the thing ever since I saw it for the first time. And then mm-hmm. um, I've also been a fan of In the Mouth of Madness for a while. Another film that we will eventually get to as not yes. just the third installment of the Apocalypse trilogy, but also a similar Lovecraftian vibes, but I, I realized I had never seen the middle installment, and years ago, I used to live with a guy who, he's a big John Carpenter fan, mm-hmm. and I don't think he owned it, but he was like, dude, you ha- like if you love these other two movies, you have to see this one, and at the time, I remember seeing it and thinking it just wasn't as strong as the other two, um, and, but at that point, you know, it was such a long time ago, you know, art stays the same, but people change. Of course. So, yeah. you know, nowadays I revisit it, and especially with a, more of a focus on uh, my interest in Lovecraft, and also, let's be honest, the shit which is happening outside of our, our you know, dwellings, like, at this very moment, um, yeah. it, it takes on sort of a bit of a different resonance, and um, I, I, I say this regretfully, but there was a time, and I'm like, you know, John Carpenter's cool, I don't think he's a great director, but I think he makes some pretty good films, and yet... You know, I've revisited, I, I covered Carpenter on I Do Movies Badly. You know, I have a right. bit more of appreciation for him. So just seeing what he what he can bring to a film and also just <laughs> the tone is so, I mean, he does such a great job of from the beginning, the first five minutes of a movie, it's like he grabs you and like, here's the tone and here's the, the environment of the film and you cannot escape it up until the very end. And it it's so effective in, in, in this movie. So I, I just, I guess when I first saw it, it was more under the guise of being a completionist to a certain extent, um, but not loving it as much as the thing or in the mouth of madness. And I have to say, now that I've revisited again, I think the, the scales have tipped a little bit in the, think, in the sense of, I think maybe in the mouth of madness is sort of the weaker of the three, in my opinion. Um, but I know mm-hmm. one thing Carpenter was battling against in this one was this one tanked at the box office just like Big Trouble in Little China tanked at the box office and I know some of the context behind it was Big Trouble in Little China was with a studio Carpenter was sick of working with studio so this one was kind of an independent production and didn't do so well it found life on home video as is often the case with a lot a lot of his stuff uh, specifically yeah. um, yes seriously and, and so but this one disappeared pretty quickly um, and I guess it kind of makes sense how does one market this movie, especially in 1987? I don't know. Like, I mean, I to be honest, I was trying to think, like, have I ever, did I ever see a trailer for this film? And, like, I, to, to, to be honest, like, I didn't even watch, to, you know, I watched the movie before the podcast, but I didn't even look up a trailer. But, like, yeah, how do you market this? Like, and then again, that's kind of, like, why it's so perfect as yeah. a Lovecraftian feel, because how do you properly market such dread and hopelessness Mm. like without it being too much you know what i mean like and that's kind of what's crazy about this one where this was him going back to like low budget films again yeah but i'll be honest like you know when i watch this like so many times i don't see the low budget hurting it i actually think the low budget helps it a lot 
the less we see, the better, you know? There's, there's certainly an element, like, I'll admit, while, while I was watching, I was sort of thinking, like, this must have been a pretty low-budget shoot, considering, I mean, it's, it's, you know, if this were just a, a TV episode, it'd be a bottle episode, because it's just sort of in the one location sort of thing, you know, and, and, uh... Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right in the sense that it helps it, especially when it comes to this film and the work of Lovecraft kind of being like, I'm not going to explain the monster to you. I'm going no. to let your mind fill it in. But before we get too deep into it, do we want to do we want to first kind of delve into the current events we wanted to talk about, James? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what do you want to delve into first? Because one, <laughs> I'll try not to talk too much about because I could talk. I, that could be another podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Hell, who knows? We could even cover, in some ways, this this series is very Lovecraftian too, in a way like Barker kind of in a weird way, a little too much to explain, but you know, certain elements to me, um, Hellraiser itself kind of can, can like, it almost can be like, like almost like a cousin to like Lovecraftian stuff, you know, like to the side. Cer certainly in, in the, it's, it's in the ballpark, but I don't think it's in, you know, it, it's, it's necessarily. It's not there. Yet. Yeah. It's not, it's not there. It's like a friend, a friend of Lovecraft, <laughs> a friend, a friend of Lovecraft. But yeah, we are, of course, referring to a news article that we posted on, on the Facebook page recently that HBO has announced that they are bringing Hellraiser back to the screen, but in a, a series instead of, you know, another big film adaptation. And I first was aware of this because this, this same friend who was the Carpenter fan texted me ah. <laughs> the news article, but like his tone behind it was more like, are you serious with this shit? Because... He is not a Hellraiser franchise fan. I must admit, okay. I am not either. But I saw the potential here because mm -hmm. one thing that I did love about the Hellraiser franchise, which I think as the films went along, it continuously fucked up and tripped over itself over, was that yeah. there does seem to be a world and a mythology there, but because mm -hmm. each film was adding to it and trying to reinvent it or discarding what was done before, it was so muddled and just incoherent that I'm like, okay, if we have a series with a showrunner, with a writing staff, which keeps a consistent, coherent vision, this right. could be kind of cool. Yeah, this it, it definitely can because it's been done mm -hmm. in, in comic book form. Right. Um, that I've been, I was telling you beforehand, like I've been delving back into multiple um, Hellraiser comic series, just kind of going back and forth, and the original, like, 1992 Marvel epic comic series was an anthology series. Mm -hmm. So each each issue had, like, three stories of people either getting involved somehow with the Lament configuration or the Cenobite, like, a certain Cenobite. So there's, like, a whole cast of characters, like, all these different Cenobites mm -hmm. that are introduced, and some are just one one shots, like you know, it's the only time this Cenobite will ever be seen. That's fine. Mm -hmm. And some became like recurring Cenobites. Like there was one named Face who had like like a skin face on, like that he took from people because it's alluded to that he was actually Lon Chaney Senior who found the Lament configuration. It's never really <laughs> said. Okay. But he's but he's a man of a thousand faces, and his pictures on his wall of just like all the films, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. and he was so good because he figured out a way to steal people's faces and then act as them, which is kind of creepy. Yeah. And he's a cool, he's actually one of the cooler 
Cenobites. There's another one named Atkins, who is what was so wrong with 90s comics, which was big buff guy with two huge guns that make no sense. And like so <laughs> many, like a Liefeld character, like so many pockets and pouches. And all he does is like curse and ki- like, basically it's like, like, like I almost want to joke. It's like, we'll tear your soul apart with guns. You know, like, it's like, <laughs> like, where does this character come from? But that's one aspect. And then boom studios in like the, the mid to late two thousands put out a series where it's, delving more into the world of Leviathan, the hell that we see in the second film, which, and actually a friend asked me, which film should I watch in the series? I'm like, well, look, the first two, I think, are perfect together. Mm -hmm. It's like a good one-two shot. You have the first one, which is small, but gives just enough, and the second one gives you this whole worldview, and you're like, holy shit, this is bigger than I thought. The third one is doofy fun. It's terrible, but I... There's something about that one that I can put that one anytime and just laugh. You know what I mean? It's it's, And then the fourth one, which gets too much hate, I think. Like, I'm going to put this on record. It's not as bad as everyone says. They always say, oh, it's the space one. Yes, that's a third oh, of it. Right, but, yeah, okay. But it's not, like, as... I, I don't know why that makes it bad. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know why space bad. Is, like, is that the one that, when it came out... It was directed by Alan Smithy because the yes. director wanted his name taken off. Yes. Okay, yeah. Yes, and fine, whatever. <laughs> a lot of it was taken away from him. From I forgot even who directed it, to be honest. But uh, According to Wikipedia, a guy named Kevin Yeager. Kevin Yeager, okay. So he's a special effects guy, Kevin yeah. Yeager. Mm-hmm. I think he did special effects for, like, Child's Play and other stuff. He, okay. He, yeah, he, he, uh, I guess he was known for, uh, for Freddy Krueger's makeup and for the Crypt Keeper, basically. So this there dude, you go. Yeah. He knows his stuff, and like, it probably went in all excited. Yes, I got to do this really epic Hellraiser film where, and that's what I kind of like about it because it's three different stories with the lineage of the man who made the Lament configuration. Mm-hmm. And the the one thing I laugh like whenever I, I've I've shown people that film, I've also like said this film is great also because Adam Scott is in it, <laughs> and he looks exactly the same. Yes. 30 years later. <laughs> like him and Paul Rudd. Yeah. Do not age. They, they're like, I don't know what they are. No. Because they don't age at all. But the, the fourth one, like I, I, I like the aspect of like this guy, this lineage trying to stop Pinhead or lead Cenobite, whatever, like finally once and for all, like he just wants to stop this guy. Mm-hmm. And it's in the future. It's like, who, who knows? I forgot how long in the future it is, but ultimately Figuring out, like, the only way I could trap him is if I make a lament configuration the size of a freaking spaceship and then trap him inside. So, yeah, it's corny. I'm not going to lie. It's not like, yeah, it's great. But I think it's better than what people think. Because I remember when I, I was going to see it and people were like, oh, it's the worst film ever. It's the worst film ever. And only if they knew what some of the Hellraiser sequels after that would be, they wouldn't have said that. Like, and actually, in retrospect, like, I'm – and, like, you you – People know already I like trash. Like, I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. And I find something in most of the Hellraiser films that I like. Mm-hmm. Like, even the, the crappy ones. Like, and I know they're crap, but, like, you know, like, the fifth one is kind of like a noir. And then Pinhead's in it. Okay, so the fifth one... Nicholas uh, Turturro's in it. Yeah, and in Inferno, which was co-written yeah. and, and directed by Scott Derrickson. Scott Derrickson, yeah, yeah. Who's huge now. Now, you know? and, and here, so that's... 
that's the only I'm gonna say sequel after the second one that I yeah. will speak up for. Which is yeah, and that's good. Yeah, and, and because I think if I remember correctly, it was it was a screenplay that was written for something else, and then they added Pinhead to it, kind of like they done with the Saw franchise with a whole bunch of other horror movies, and basically. what they did with every single Hellraiser film at, from the fifth one on. That's what it was. It was like we got this horror the horror flick. What are we gonna do with this? Uh, well. We have Pinhead also. Throw Pinhead in with some Cenobites. Right, yeah. Like, no explanation, you know. It's like, no. oh, okay. Yeah. But that one does it well. And, and I, and because I, I saw that one when I was in college and, and, and studying film, and okay. I went to a, a Christian college, and Scott Derrickson is himself a Christian guy, so he brings right. kind of an exploration of morality that you didn't really see in the earlier ones. So he's not as much. Yeah, you're yeah. right. You're so, right. So he's trying to do something different with it, which I really appreciate. I'm not going to stand up for Hellraiser Hellworld, in which Lance Henriksen brings a bunch of people to a Hellraiser Dude, website or whatever it was. That one is so bad, mm-hmm. and like, and it has young Superman Henry Cavill in it. <sighs> I forgot. Also, about that. okay, he's one of the guys who who's getting like like a like a blowjob at one point and. He looks down at some woman with teeth. Like it's, it's so bad, and like, it also makes no sense. Like when you watch it, it's like, oh, spoiler alert for Hellworld. They're playing this game, and they all go there, but there's no explanation where this place is. It's just an address. <laughs> but oh, I guess it's in our city. Like, like you know, it doesn't say New York, New York, or Los Angeles, California. It just says. One, two, three, Hellraiser Way. Oh, let me go there. I know where that is. <laughs> and, there's, and there's hundreds of people in this place that Lance Hendrickson has made this game and he's lured them in. But it's only these four or five people that he's like targeting and drugs and then buries them alive and then basically is giving them the nightmare, the, the Hellraiser nightmare. Mm-hmm. Because you're like, is he Pinhead? Or is he Lance Henriksen? Then, okay, fine. If he's Pinhead, fine. Okay, whatever. He's the digital age Pinhead. But then at the end, no, Lance Henriksen's just Lance Henriksen. He has a lament configuration, and then Pinhead kills him. And you're like, what did I just watch? This, so this, this leads to a couple larger questions, because I don't want to delve yes. too deep into this, because we do have another a film that we have to talk about. But <laughs> I know, I know. So where do I begin? I guess... Yeah. Hellraiser, the franchise, to me, mm-hmm. is kind of exhibit A when I hold up uh, as what is kind of wrong with the horror community in a sense of these movies, not just diminishing returns as they went along, but objectively some of them are fucking terrible. Oh, so, awful. one, you know, why was it allowed to proliferate? There are ten installments in the Hellraiser franchise. Uh, the I most. Know. The most recent one being Hellraiser Judgment from 2018, which I admittedly did not see. Not bad. Um, That's all I'll say about it. Not bad. But it's, it's so it's it's like, all right, on the one hand, as I said, cool, there's a series here which could kind of explore this mythology, but like, why is this one the one worth exploring when repeatedly, repeatedly it was fucked up? I think ultimately what it, what it is is, because even Clive Barker has denounced most of the sequels like he was involved up until four mm-hmm. he was like he was you know first one he wrote directed yeah perfect second one he gave a lot of input but then also liked what they added to it and he even said 
it was almost like an ex, you know ex, uh, exquisite corpse. Mm-hmm. Like I wrote and then they added, mm-hmm. which was good. Then he's like the third, fourth. That's when tensions between him and the studio started clashing, and realizing that you know realizing then oh wait fuck I technically don't own the film rights anymore. What do I? There's only so much I can say, and then he kind of just went fuck off. You do whatever you want to do. I, whenever people ask me stuff about it, I'll be like, it's a piece of shit. Like, and he has many times said, yeah, that's not good. I have nothing to do with that. And should be noted, I don't know if it was the third one, but the the distribution company for the fourth one, Dimension Films, run by Bob Weinstein. Yeah, that's a whole. And and again, well, you know, little quick tangent about Weinstein and how he would hoard franchises, mm-hmm. and then like again. You know, you can't blame the creator anymore because he's completely gone. And to the point when in the two that, you know, the like mid to late 2000s, when Boom got the rights for the comic series of any, you know, there's like there were two different series too, the regular Hellraiser. And then it was a Dark Watch series, which was a separate storyline with Harry Damore mm-hmm. from his stories, who if if you know Harry Damore, you know, from um uh, what do you call it? Uh, Lord of Illusions with Scott Bakula. Oh wow! Okay. That was the the last movie that Barker actually wrote and directed for, based on his character. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know Barker kind of like while doing the comic, he also just said, "I want to make the definitive last Pinhead story," and then he wrote the Scarlet Gospels, which was Pinhead basically wanting to destroy all of all of humanity, basically want to destroy hell and then come up and destroy Earth. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. It's epic. It's like magic battles, and it's Harry Demore versus Pinhead, and it's crazy because he keeps calling him Pinhead, and Pinhead's just getting pissed because he hates that name. <laughs> he hates it. With a, he's like, why do they call me this? And it's like, it's such a good ser- like good story, and like delves into the, the different layers of hell and like how they react. And but it's even Barker going like, this is it. That's kind of like my set. But I think. I think if um, – I don't know which way they're going to go with the series. Like I don't know if they're going to go anthology or they're going to go the inner workings of hell, which could be really interesting having the Cenobitical Order, almost like a Game of Thrones with – you have different Cenobite or which is, has been delved in the comics and stuff. There's different ones that th- they disagree with each other. Yeah. They don't all say, oh, pain and pleasure, pain and pleasure. It's like some are like, well – I'm too I'm too good for that, like actually, and it's like really weird stuff. So I'm like, you could do something cool, or is it just going to be? I don't know. I mean, I have faith. HBO, you know, the budget's going to be there. Oh yeah. And like you said, if it's like a collective of writers that enjoy this stuff, and is it a David Gordon Green? Yeah, David Gordon oh. Green and um, okay, Danny. That's why. Yeah. So right. they they them and Jody Hill are part of the producing team which yeah. are, are are eping it um which leads to another question of why are these guys i mean they make one admittedly pretty good successful horror right. film why are they all of a sudden the gatekeepers for horror but whatever yeah it's a whole other thing i know the 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 question i more have is sort of as much as i just said it's going to be cool to see this mythology explored feel free to disagree with me you or the listeners yeah. i don't necessarily want backstory on the Cenobites. I don't want to relate to Pinhead, not because I don't think he's a cool character, but what I loved more about Pinhead in the franchise was he'd show up, 
chains, hooks, torture people, and that and that would sort of dupe these people into thinking I have control over these. And just when they thought they had control, they're like, "No, fuck you, chains for you as well, torture pulling you apart." And the fact yeah. that we didn't know their motivations was what made them so terrifying, and the rarity of when they showed up so cool. Yeah, no, I agree with that too. That's kind of like why I like the anthology mm. like idea because really it's like. You'll have like there's one story like in the Christmas the Christmas special from back in the day. <laughs> sure, but it's a cool, but it's a cool little story about a like a young Jewish boy with his father who tells him not to play with this box like this toy box mm-hmm. because and it's like kind of like the golem story, you know? Oh yeah, okay. So so it the and then all of a sudden like the father I think gets killed somehow by mistake or something by like the, he was a rabbi he gets killed by like these young punks or something and then the kid goes into the room and starts playing with the box like in real and then the whole thing is like almost like a slasher thing because all you see is like someone killing these people mm-hmm. like oh shit but then by the end you you realize the box was never opened this kid just snapped and and couldn't figure out how to open the box <laughs> and started killing and then the center you know what whichever centibite it was comes to like collect him because like you know, you kind of fucked up too, kid. <laughs> right, yeah. Sorry. Mm. But it's like cool stuff like that. There's, and, and there's a lot you can do with that format. And I think that's, to me, the smartest way to go about it because then you don't have to have any backstory. You can kind of almost have, like, Pinhead come in once in a while just to kind of speak eloquently about the state of society or whatever. Like, you know, this is why we still are here. We We are, we are needed for the sinners and stuff, people that want to experience it. And then that's it. Nothing else. Don't show hell. You don't have to show any of that. Just delve into the, the psyche of man. And why did, why did these people keep playing with this box? Yes, 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 yes. And that's it. That's all you need. I do. I do like that. And then the, the final kind of question I'll pose to you and to anybody and not even, yeah. a, not even a question thoughts, whatever, but Clive Barker, 1987 at least when the film i know the hellbound heart was before that but a lot of what informed the story and the film was clive barker's sexuality as of course as a, a a gay man there was that idea of and once again in 1987 a propensity for something that people stigmatized and didn't understand. I mean, you know, it's it's no coincidence that Pinhead and a lot of the Cenobites are dressed in this S&M type of gear, and they talk about the, the, the blurring of the lines between pleasure and pain. Yeah. And I, I say this all without judgment, but more as a, a way to get into the idea of the roots of that story were from a specific life experience. And now here we got a bunch of straight guys bringing this story back to the screen. Yeah, that's where the fear comes in. Like, is going to lose something from the original? Or are you going to go to Barker himself and kind of maybe have him on as a, like a, a consultant? I mean, that'd be the smartest thing. That, that, to me, that'd be smart because then you'd get the fans of Barker that mm-hmm. don't even like the films past a certain point going oh okay you actually got the guy that started it all yeah back yeah and, and i hope beyond hope that they do that just because that experience especially in uh, the late 1980s added something to this movie that people were kind of like i'm i'm seeing 
you know, this may have been their their first experience or their first taking of like a world that they didn't fully understand. Um, right. And I, but if I remember correctly, Gordon Green and Danny McBride and them, like they got Carpenter's blessing with their new Halloween, didn't they? Well, yeah. Well, they got the blessing, and then Carpenter liked it, liked the script so much that he did the soundtrack for it. Yeah, that's right. And like he, he wouldn't. People might say whatever they want about Carpenter because Carpenter has always joked about, oh, um, you know, as long as they get a check, they can remake whatever they want. <laughs> right. As long as they get the money. But at the same time, I think he liked it actually more than the usual stuff because they actually presented it to him. They kind of went, look, yours is what we're going for. We're going for a sequel from your original film. Yeah. It's almost like this, like, just this love for him. And then, like, you know, that's kind of like how they... To me, that's the same way they should kind of go into this. Like, okay, this is what we want to do. Do you have any ideas or do you want to, like, you know, look at this and kind of, like, you know, red stuff up? Like, okay, now that's a little too straight, you know, like, and kind of give it a little more of an edge, you know, like, which is funny to say an edge, but, like, from from Barker's point of view, like, you know, gay man... BDSM has always been something he's delved with because even if you watch some of his early short films he did back in like the late 70s and stuff with a young, you know, um, pinhead himself, uh, <laughs> um, it, it's always been there. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and if you read his books, even when it's not as prevalent, it's a through line. You know, there's always people that feel that they don't belong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. people that like Nightbreed Cabal yes exactly called. yeah that's very much the same and like Harry Damore his character is very much like almost like a John Constantine type character where he only believes that he can do it all mm-hmm. nobody else can help him so he never wants help mm-hmm. but ultimately the only way he ever fights anything off is by help but getting help so it's like these these interesting takes throughout his career I you know again I'm a positive Hellraiser fan but I could see it turning to shit because here's the thing. You have this TV series announced, but you also have a film announced too oh, a right. month or two before. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's a completely different entity. I forgot so, about that. Yeah, yeah, So, like, that's why I'm kind of having a feeling that if they do the movie kind of more like a reboot, whatever you want to call it, that's cool. That's its own thing. You could have it, like, pinhead-centric or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you can have the series, which is more of an anthology. Like, to me, don't make it the same. Because okay. then what's what's the point? Yeah, yeah. Like, come on. But then again, you know, being a Hellraiser fan, you always kind of hold out hope. But then you go, eh, it's probably going to be shit. And then and then I watch it. And then nine times out of ten, it's shit. But, but yeah, but going back into what – I don't think we need to talk about the other thing that we, we talked about. It's, <laughs> I, I've, I've kind of soured on the movie, Zombieland 2. So that's the whole other – Yeah, that was – like. I, I don't hate it. It's just, it's forgettable. It, it's completely like, I think like when I thought I'm like, yeah, I did watch that. Yes. The fuck happened again? Yeah. Yeah. J- James and I also wanted to, to spend a little bit of time discussing Zombieland 2 double tap. Um, I'll, I'll sum up my thoughts in the, in the sense of I, I have now admittedly, I haven't seen Venom, but basically every time I've seen a film by Ruben Fleischer, I keep thinking, how does this guy keep getting work? Because his films are uh mediocrity to find in my opinion well i mean i'll say this much um the sequel i did like better than the uh pilot for the tv series that for amazon that never got 
greenlit uh, <laughs> yeah, that they made, which was different characters in the world of Zombieland. It, to me, it tries too hard mm-hmm. to be like the same, and it's like 10 years later. Yeah. So you're trying to... But I'll also say this. Sadly enough, it's one of the one of the better 10 years later or more sequels of a comedy. Yeah. Like, you look at the ones, like, Zoolander 2 is probably one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> um, you have Anchorman 2, which was just, why? Yeah. Dumb and Dumber, the, the actual sequel with with, the original, yeah, with you know? Jeff Daniels and, and Jim yeah. Carrey, like you go, come on, like what are you doing? Um, but I'll never watch it again. The one thing I'll give that film credit for is the the sequence. Once there's like uh, Thomas Middleditch and um, Luke Wilson show up, oh. and there's there's that fight like inside the house, like it's that's that's, that's really cool. That's a really like, cool, well shot sequence. But that was fun, you know. And I think that whole scene was fun too because basically it's just. The, they're the same characters, just like shittier versions of the characters. Mm-hmm. Like almost like if you if you were to like copy the movie, so it's almost them making fun of it. Yeah, but I don't know if it's that clever. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. Like the the uh, humor in the rest of the film and in Fleischer's films in general are not that clever. Now he's an EP on Superstore, which is a show I actually really enjoy. I've heard good things, but I, I the only reason I don't watch that show is because. I work in that world of retail, no. like big box retail. I'm like, do I want to watch a series about that? No, I, I, is that, I That's America Ferrera, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, I heard she just left, right? Or she's going to leave? She, Yeah, she is. And Mark McKinney's in it as well. He's really funny. Oh, it. wow. Nice. I love Mark. And listen, Jesse Eisenberg much, might, must love working with him because this is the third time they've worked together. So, Oh, right. Dirt, um, Dirty Minutes or Less Dirty was the other less, one, right? Yeah, and nobody one. remembers that film. No, I, I remember just being like, oh, okay. I just watched that. Yeah, I I remember watching. I remember seeing that in theaters because I like you know Jesse Eisenberg. I like Danny McBride, and, mm-hmm. and even at that time, Nick Swartzen wasn't annoying you. Yeah. And God, right? Remember him? <laughs> um, fuck. Um, but I remember watching and going, they don't do this anymore. The Thirty Minutes or Less, like anywhere. Like where did he do this still? And because because I'm like, didn't people get into accidents? And I'm like, and then I read, I'm like, yeah, that's why they stopped the whole pizza 30 minutes or less because people were getting into accidents mm-hmm. trying to get that pizza. Yep. The, the movie that does the best 30 minutes or less thing is the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because he can't find them and it, they're because they're in the sewer. <laughs> pizza dude's got 30 seconds. You know, like that does it well because it's not a whole freaking movie about it. What I do like though is that a weird through line between Hellraiser and Prince of Darkness is there's a lot of through lines is the boat 1987 also yeah yeah both yeah both in the which same is interesting year. that's um, a good that's a good year for horror right that just those two films alone you're like whoa you were weren't kidding different trajectories for them though one tanked and i, I believe hellraiser was an underground success if not a pretty big yes, one it was basically it was like when he got a lot of press from his books and then the movie itself because Stephen King put his state, you know, seal of uh, approval. Okay, that'll happen. Barker's the, you know, basically he said he, he is the future of horror, Clive Barker, and like that's right. That was after the Hellbound Heart and stuff. So you're like, you had that praise of Stephen King even back then. It's still today you get that praise. It's it's like a thumbs up. But back then, you know, he was hot as as hell. And it's funny because you have that going on, and then you have around the same time, um, like eighty four, eighty five. I think they. The studio wanted Carpenter to make Firestarter, and he wrote the script at first, you know, but they he wanted to completely overhaul it. Like he he didn't like the script that was made, 
Mm-hmm. Originally, well, he, so he rewrote it, and they went, "No, well, the, your 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 ideas are too expensive. Mm-hmm. We're gonna go." And then, but I guess King loved him so much, then that's how he got Christine. Okay, which actually is a better adaptation of a Stephen King story than Firestarter. So, mm-hmm. you know how it goes. The, the weird travels, especially with Carpenter's career, when you look at all the near misses and stuff he almost made, like he almost made Santa Claus the movie. <laughs> with Dudley Moore. <laughs> you know, he almost made Exorcist 3, Legion, oh, and then okay. and then William Peter Blatty just said, I'll just direct it myself. I specifically have harped on this so many times in so many of these adaptations, is that a lot of these Lovecraft adaptations, well, we've made a joke like, throw tentacles in there, and we have a Lovecraft film. And so many of them focus on a, a visceral, physical reaction at the expense of what makes Lovecraft stories so effective and so bleak is this idea of, no, your, your perception of reality has disintegrated by the end. Um, and what I loved about Prince of Darkness was that it is a film which captures that existential dread, that idea of we have all these naive, young, archetypical college students at the beginning who are like, are all, they're just interested in fucking and studying and doing whatever and then at the end they've been subjected to this and even the priest and and yeah. and, uh, and the professor of like we have yeah. a, a view of the world and by the end that is obliterated um yeah. I, I just before i'm sorry before you, uh-huh. you go i just want to read just this one quote is this, this den of geek article about john carpenter's apocalypse trilogy that we quoted in the thing i'll post it again on the facebook page after this episode goes up but it says as the old Douglas Adam gag goes, by God's own logic, to prove that God exists is to prove that God does not exist. So it goes here. In proving that Satan exists as a substance, God is notable only by his absence, but the evil force clearly remains. Only with a noble sacrifice is the anti-God is finally foiled, but the film ends with an overt hint that humanity is doomed to repeat its mistakes. And so, it's... It's kind of funny because I remember when I was watching this, I was like, "Oh, this has somewhat of a happy ending until you get that very last shot." And like, no, yeah, no, and even even the idea that they've deduced that their dreams are a transmission from the future, thinking maybe they're telling us that we can avoid this, but just by the sheer fact of that transmission from the future existing means no, they did not stop this thing, and they will never stop this thing from happening. And like, oh shit, man. Yeah, and that's I to me like that's I you know I've said it many times, I love a good dark ending, but it has to be earned. Yes, you know what I mean. It can't just be, oh they got away and then the killer just kind of pops out and like and like no that's not earned. <laughs> this yeah. is earned because they've gone through hell and back. They've lost many people like just in awful ways. People have like been turned almost like to these like psychotic zombies mm-hmm. almost, but they, they're still there yeah which is even worse like especially the, um, the the one scene that always creeps me out too is like the the one black actor like when he's uh, and he's trying to like control it but he can't mm-hmm. and he just starts stabbing i'm like okay this is and i love the whole idea of like this monastery that was the brotherhood of sleep and like <laughs> an old order that communicated through dreams which is already like that just sounds like something from like Lovecraft's world like like people that don't talk they just communicate through dreams and then that's kind of what we're getting throughout the whole film without knowing that 
mm-hmm. that they're getting these things through sleep, but is it good or bad? Like, I love, like, the static, you know, video shots of the monastery, and then there's that one that just gets you when you just see this big, like, figure. And you don't know what it is, because you're like, wait, that's not a, that can't be a person. Like, it's too... Uh, I'm getting goosebumps just, you. like, thinking about, yeah, the, just that image yeah. of, like, and it's, and there's the, the he's, it's backlit, and you're just like, is that is that a person in robes? Like, what? what is that? Right. Is that what Satan is? And I love the idea that Satan is probably the offspring of an even more powerful, like, fourth evil, this anti-god you talked about, which mm-hmm. already is like, oh, so all the things that we, you know, even as a religion, you know, Donald Pleasance as the priest is like, he believes in heaven and hell. He believes, like, good and evil. And it's like, wait, what they taught me is actually bullshit? Like this 2, is worse. Thousand years of lies and conspiracies. Yeah, and I love and like you know and and kind of like you know growing up like a Catholic and then like kind of like now being more you know not not a just just kind of believing in like you know that there's probably something out there, not sure what, but mm-hmm. there has to be because this is not like I'm not saying a sentient being, but like something that kind of did something, but. This is kind of like you know, everything you believe. Like you, you as scientists and you as religious folk, it's all bullshit. You're you, like throw all those textbooks away. This is the true deal. And it's mm-hmm. like imagine having like you know, professor that's been a professor for like forty years, a priest forty years, and like realizing I'm living a lie. Yeah. Who am I protecting anymore? Like, is it just myself from these lies, or is it these other people? And it's like. Oh, it's so good. It just works on, like, so many different... It, it, it is, like, such a heady script by him, which, again, John Carpenter went as Martin Quatermass, which <laughs> yeah. is kind of as a pseudonym, because he wanted to really hammer it home. I, it would have been funny if it was, like, Martin Lovecraft, but I think he realized, no, <laughs> Quatermass is cooler, and, like, nobody's going to realize the comparison. Right. It, which is but, funny, because I remember watching the opening credits and just, like, I was about to text you, like, oh, that's interesting that someone else wrote this, and then reading the IMDb trivia, like, no, that that's, it's Carpenter. He just called himself by a different name. Interestingly enough, it was, I, he did it another, he, is it In the Mouth of Madness? But there's another film, which is Frank Armitage, and Armitage is a character in, in Lovecraft stories. I think, I think it might be In the Mouth of Madness. I think you're right, because, like, that's also a thing you go, oh, Okay. Yeah. Like, cool. Yeah. You see, I'm, I'm making sure real quick before. Yeah, but I, I will. I, I'll. I'll be happy to vamp while you looked it up because it, it was. Yeah. The, these. Now, for me, as someone who is a Christian, is a believer, that's mm-hmm. what makes Lovecraft stories and, by extension, this film so horrifying. Is that idea of in this film they can scientifically prove which. Okay. Well, let, let yeah. suspension of disbelief for this movie. They've, right. they've scientifically proven this myth of Christ and of spirituality is a myth and not just a myth, but a myth perpetrated by the church to, as Donald Pleasant says, keep man at the center of their story, their reality, basically. And so by proving scientifically that this mythology is fake, basically then takes away that idea of all these things that we've propped up on spirituality, free will, redemption in like a God, like that's, that's all false basically and you see the despair depicted so well in donald pleasant's character especially there's that moment near the end where like um sim- like symbolically carpenter separates the group as like i think it's the the woman who's been translating the the text when she kind of jumps out in the hallway and she separates the group from donald pleasant's and what does he do 
he is he runs he escapes he gets out of there and it's just like oh my god this is so hopeless yeah and you have like the bums coming and like they're all like like it's slow and then all of a sudden it's like they're all over the place Mm -hmm. like outside like you can't go outside because you'll get killed with a bicycle a bicycle yeah which i believe was the the real prop from alice cooper's stage show yeah and i love that like like Alice Cooper had has this like weird career. I mean, it makes sense because of his whole act, but it's just he has these weird like little roles in in horror films from like eighties and nineties, and it's like it's it's always fun to see him because when you see him and you know his act, but you know like in real life he's like the nicest guy in the world. Mm-hmm. Like he's such a nice guy. Yeah, I always, I always say like, have you ever seen Alice Cooper and um, Henry Winkler in the same? place because they look like they're brothers like mm. if you look at them together it's like yeah you can bro but there, actually there is a picture of them together like a few years ago because of that joke like no we're different people <laughs> i think alice cooper was also raised catholic if i if i know that if i remember correctly that makes sense oh and also armitage i think was they live oh that's right yeah okay all right yeah i think i think someone else wrote in the mouth of madness which is interesting i think barnum deluca Okay. Wrote that, which I actually didn't remember that. I'm like, really? All right. Um, oh. But but yeah, it's just it is interesting because the 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 characters in a Lovecraft story. I mean, you 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 know, the joke is like they're at the end they've either gone insane or they're like, uh, I'm writing this down and I'm gonna fucking go kill myself because of whether it's the reality of our significance in this world or in this universe or even just like uh, their significance as a lineage or their family line and just kind of basically discovering. All of that is not just a lie, but in the grand scheme of things, none of this means anything. And it's that breaking with reality that causes them to either go insane or to dev- or to, to spiral down into despair. And if there is a prevalent emotion that I would say describes Prince of Darkness, it's despair. Because of that accepting of, one, this is all a lie, and two, just the having this, this transmission from the future means yes. they didn't stop anything right I, I, and that's the thing at first you don't realize that that's what i love about it because like it at first you're like okay what are these weird things you're seeing and then like when you realize it's the future and <laughs> you just did nothing like you just kind of prolonged it a little bit more yeah you know like you're well, what it was i think at the end what is it only one two three i think four people survive because all the possessed die right away the actual possessed and the street people just kind of wander off like not realizing where they were i guess i guess that's also the tie in like you know people that are i guess you could say insane or like you know Mm. messed up in some way it's easier for this anti-god and and whatnot or satan the green liquid to kind of tap into their the lizard part of their brain to like attack and to be their servants you know i kind of like that and like how how they take over every like almost every person like again it's it's kind of like in a weird way, an idea like from the thing of like it can get anybody, mm-hmm. but it, but it's also you know right away like okay shit this person has been, like Eddie gets Kelly who gets completely transformed she's all and she's using like telekinesis and like regeneration, and I love what I love though is like the first time she tries to get the anti god, and it's the little mirror the little one yeah and it, it won't work and I just I I find it almost funny because like. It's this perfect plan, but it's like shit. We need a bigger mirror. Like, <laughs> where's the, where's their bigger mirror in this building? Right, and they find it, of course. Mm-hmm. But now I'll, I'll uh, admit that the 
having the the homeless population as the ones who are sort of the the mindless masses i i struggle with that a little bit because it's sort of played into that belief especially in reagan's america of like homeless people being scary um how i've tried to make sense of it is in a weird way due to um both the bible and the shutter documentary series um mm -hmm. the cursed films mm -hmm. because uh i mean the Bible has a lot of talk about, you know, whatever you have done to the, the least of these, you have done to me. And so here is a population which has been largely ignored and or not equipped or taken care of by a larger society. So, of course, they are the ones that are going to be the more susceptible to anything, basically. I well, mean, drugs and alcohol. I, I mean, it's almost, I think, Carpenter kind of saying that, like, sadly, this is what America is. And then, yeah. hell, the film that he followed up with this is They Live, which is very positive towards the homeless. Yeah. Like... He's like, they're the ones that aren't changed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then you get the one bum that becomes one of, like, like oh, I'm with them now. Now he's all rich. And <laughs> see, that's what... And it's almost like a joke, like, that's how you get ahead in, in Reagan's America. You mm -hmm. just have to, you know, conform. That's, yeah. And, and, and also, the, um, the Cursed Films episode that I was watching before this was the one on The Omen. And... Ooh, okay. Yeah, the the okay. big the big discussion there was like not just can a film be cursed, but they brought in a lot of black magicians to kind of talk about curses and 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 there's this okay. one there's this one witch they bring in who he says and I always thought that a a male witch was a warlock, but I I know nothing. I thought so too. Yeah, I, I don't know anything about that subculture, but he defined himself as a witch. And okay. He was basically talking about how people that don't believe in it think that that's a defense. When in all actuality, those people become targets because they think not believing in it means they have a defense. When we actually oh. we actually see that, what's his name? Frank Winman, the guy who writes it off as bullshit, basically becomes a suit of bugs. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, man. I love that. Bugs. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and even um, even Walter, even the Dennis Dunn character is like, you guys don't believe in this shit, do you? And I, lo I love Dennis Dunn. Yeah, he's... And hysterical it, in this. And it's funny, too, because you talk about how this is kind of devoid of racism. It's it's not, but it comes from the Dennis Dunn character, who's basically kind of an asshole that goes through... Yeah. Not an arc, but he's basically sort of like, I had this perception of people and things, and that becomes changed near the end. That's the, And I think that's interesting, because I think also it was... Um, Carpenter liked working with Dennis Dunn and Victor Wong, mm. like, from Big Trouble, and wanted to get him out of the world of you know, quote unquote, martial arts cinema, you know, like, like, this is what you're known for, you know, he almost, and I, I kind of love that, like, he makes Victor Wong a professor, like yeah. a really well-respected professor, nothing, nothing's ever mentioned about his race at all. No. It's just, you know, anyone could play that role, but that's why I love it, and then, like you said, Dennis Dunn, he's a dick, like, like, I remember I watched it with, the first time I watched it with Corinne, maybe like a year ago, she liked it except for Dennis Dunn's character. She's like, why is this guy such a dick? Such Just an asshole. Kill, kill him already. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I know. And I think that's kind of like Carpenter trying to play with the – every time you'd see like almost like a young Asian guy in a movie, he would know martial arts. And like even if it was just a regular action film, oh, well, he knows martial arts. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, that's kind of why I love Big Trouble in Little China so much because it's him like making fun of that, that everyone knows martial arts. Mm-hmm. Like all the Asian, but the the white people don't. Right. And like Kurt Russell doesn't know how to fight at all. <laughs> Kurt Russell is the opposite of a white savior in that movie. <laughs> exactly. He has <laughs> lipstick for half the movie on, you know? <laughs> Shoots the ceiling, ceiling collapses, knocks him out for most of the fight. Which, which like, you, know, th you know, going back, like, I love it when, like, a really big actor can just do something like that and just, they don't care how stupid they look. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Like, like you know, this is the thing with fame. You know, big you know time actors. They never want to look stupid. Mm-hmm. And character actors, like, you know, they want to like some want to shoot a scenery, but it's like the ones that to me, I go back to like you know Donald Pleasance was always known as a a check casher. Yeah, he would do anything, but. Mm-hmm. Carpenter, I think, always got the best out of him. Yeah, like oh, yeah. Halloween, you know, you had, you know, Halloween alone. You had Escape from New York, where he's the president. And he's a real and, he, and you know, at first you're like, oh man, I feel bad for this guy, but by the end you're like, he's a prick too. Yeah, like a president, you know, like I love that, but like he always would give him this through line, like just go for it. And then here it's like, you know, he's this priest who's like doubting his whole life, and like you said, he's afraid so much. But then ultimately he. Without really caring about who's trapped in there, he just breaks the mirror and, like, sacrifices, you know, Catherine. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, like, you know, like it's like, well, I have to do this. Like, I have to shatter this because so the anti-god can't come out. But who cares if there was an innocent person that was trying to stop it, get sucked in, too. And considering when he's being wheeled away by the paramedics, he's got a yeah. smile on his face. He's like, we did it. Uh-huh. We stopped it. And the subtext is... No, you didn't. No, he didn't. But but to a person that like like a priest that believes in good and evil, in his head he believes, oh, I defeated the evil. Good is prevails. But it's like no, it's not. Well, yeah, because cause there's that read of it. He believes good has prevailed, or is he just furthering the delusion that he has? It's right. That, that's and that's like really heady stuff. Like what? Well, like because now that he's survived this, and let let's just say. It's twenty years when maybe that future, those future visions are from whatever it is. It, I, I believe it was the year one nine nine nine. Right, of course, nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, so ten, yeah, twelve years later, supposedly. Think about that. Like, so then, will Pleasance's character, like, if they made a sequel, let's say, or like made a comic book about it, would you go with like he continues to lie, like in the church, mm-hmm. like, or does he become so you know? personally the way he ends it yeah he would continue to lie yeah it's it's easier to believe the lie and to like you know prop it up than to show like the disillusion like just like the end of the world is coming no matter what it's like no i don't want to believe that i want to believe the good thing like i want to believe like cheer you know almost like it's like cheery like Mm -hmm. at the end it's like and it's and then and then like i said this film like people always ask a good question like what's your favorite final shot of a film Mm -hmm. and i i always like this is always like one of the like in my head like pops up right away because just that nightmares that he's going through and he just you know marsh and he's like he sees like kelly again and like yeah whatever it's yeah it's another dream and it's just a hand and then it ends and it's a like again like like lovecraft what is he gonna is he gonna feel something Mm-hmm. Is she gonna come out? Is is he gonna be possessed? Is he gonna? We don't know, and then and it ends, and you're like, okay, and there's no hope. Yeah, because I I think it's it's interesting as we talked about even at the beginning when we're introduced to um, Lisa Blount's character Catherine, and uh, I've clicked away from his page, but mustache dude. Oh, um, because I knew him, um, uh, Jameson Parker. Yeah, I knew him from the the show Simon and Simon okay. back in the eighties. It was like a <laughs> cop whatever they were i think they were either cops or like um private inve- private investigators but okay. it was him it was this character and then the guy who, um I don't, I don't know why i always forget his name the guy who played major dad but also then was in deadwood as um the evil um 
guy who comes back to the town to like take over. Oh, no, I can't. He, he's he's a he's an older guy now, but he's he's a good character yeah. actor. Is playing that insidious Gerald kind McCraney, of older guy. I think. Yeah, I think it's like Gerald McCraney or something. But yeah, so that's why I knew him for. So I didn't really see Jameson Parker in much else. Like I know he was still working, but like I remember it's like Simon and Simon, Prince of Darkness, which you know he's a little stiff in it, but he's a good stiff. I think I think he's like a believable like love interest because he's like normal looking with the mustache you know mm-hmm. i respect i respect the mustache but <laughs> but yeah he's he to me he always looks like a cowboy even when he's in normal clothes he looks like he'd be a cowboy i could see that um the the mustache did seem a bit out of place in this film specifically <clears throat> but what i do love is that their interactions between the two of them is they're basically kind of well he in, in particular is kind of a horny college student and then near the end I mean, what, like, sex is no longer important. Like, I mean, how how could anyone care about that when it's like, oh, um, basically every myth and legend we've told about ourselves is a lie, and the world, the end of the world is eventually coming. I mean, how could you possibly care about anything at the end of that? No, you're right. It's true. And, and that's the thing. And, like, I kind of, like, lo- love knowing that, like, the survivors will forever be changed, but is that necessarily a good thing? Like, like we said, like, the priest is he really going to go on it, believing one thing or the other it's we don't know yeah one thing which i love about this and this is an element in in lovecraft too that just this idea of like the the gatekeepers of knowledge like who knows about the real truth of it um i, I love that in i mean my favorite show of all time is the x-files and oh, yeah. one of the things that to be clear seasons 1 through 9 the new seasons are mostly utter garbage. Yeah, the only one I liked was the one that was like a love letter to Kolchak, okay. the, with the one act, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's yeah, they were not. But one of the things I loved about that, and specifically about the cigarette smoking man, um, was this idea of he was mostly a shitty human being, um, huh. who would you know who sold out basically the world, but also the the idea of being the burden of knowledge of in the sense of he and this the small group of people, the Majestic 12, whatever you want to call them, knowing not just our truth about our reality is a lie, we are not people, we were created by this extraterrestrial race, and also, they're going to come back eventually and kill us all, and having (laughs) to keep that from the public for, like, let these people live out their lie is, like, was such an interesting element of that show. Um, And that's sort of the thing here in the sense of, that's what the church, that's what the Order of Sleep or the Brotherhood of Sleep, like, they knew that thing too and they were keeping it a secret from the larger world. Like, what a, what a burden that must have been. Oh, of course. I mean, it's it's actually kind of, like, horrific, like, mm-hmm. thinking of, like, what... And that's kind of, like, when X-Files was the best. I remember growing up, like, watching the X-Files and at first I always liked the Monsters of the Week and I... Oh, yeah. I, I was, like, more like, ugh. Okay, get on with the alien stuff. But then, like, doing a rewatch, like, maybe eight eight or so years ago, going, I like both. Like, I like the whole underlying, like, that the government's against you. But who's who can you trust? Can you trust this guy? Can you trust? And usually it's like, you can't trust anybody. Mm-hmm. you got to deal with it yourself. And and sometimes maybe dealing with yourself is not the best thing either. Okay, but uh, back to Prince of Darkness. Two things I wanted to also talk about. Mm-hmm. John Carpenter's score, not only is it awesome... But, so good. Normally, I'd complain about, like, I mean, the score is ever, like, from the beginning to the end, there is the score. 
And while you might complain in a normal circumstance about how that sort of manipulates you into feeling something, with this one, it's just kind of like, hey, you're not escaping. No one is escaping. Right. It's it's right from the start when, when the credits are rolling. And, and it's like eight minutes yeah. of the credits rolling, showing these glimpses after the priest dies with the box in his hand. And it's like that song, like, you know, it's it's Carpenter and Alan Haworth, like, stellar stuff like always like it's one of my favorite um vinyl soundtracks i have because it's real good it's so good like i could play it at any time i was like i said i was playing it yesterday because <laughs> it's just so damn good like it does it because it you put it on and you feel like dread like in a good like when you listen to by itself from the movie it's like this crazy like feel like ooh, <laughs> like i feel like i'm like trapped in a horror film now like even if i'm just sitting there eating like chips yeah it's like oh wait is this next chip gonna kill me yeah no the <laughs> I mean, even just a shot of Victor Wong looking up at the sun and, like, how it's it a great overcast and, like, the camera panning down to, like, the ants on the ground. It's just, like, something's something's coming, man. And, like, and you, you know, you yeah. have the characters mentioning, like, do you feel that? And with that score, we do feel it. Like, yeah, there is yeah. something up. We know, yeah, us as the, the, the audience, we know something's up right away, mm -hmm. but we don't know but they don't even know how bad it is yet. But we have that feeling from the from the score itself. You're like, okay, mm -hmm. this is some serious shit they're about to go through. Yeah, and and they don't and and they get pummeled. You know, they there's like again, no hope, no hope for them, and none, none whatsoever. Yeah, like like even like the thing. Yeah, there's no hope in that one either. But it doesn't feel as hopeless, even though it is hopeless at the end of that one. It's actually when you look at all three of the films, it's hopelessness. Oh yeah. Yep. And yeah. and and then again, that's probably why the thing bombed because they didn't know how to sell it. You know, like you could have just sold it on the special effects, but then they, I don't think they knew how. And then mm. Prince of Darkness, I think, did like decently, but not it didn't blow the world. But I think it did well enough because I think it only cost three million. Yeah, I believe that's the case. You know, and in the mouth of madness, I don't remember that doing well, but I started in theaters. Like I was like carpenter fanboy i'm like yeah i gotta see this like it's gotta be better than memoirs of an invisible man <laughs> and it was you know so. <laughs> oh god um Ugh. i mean you could say that about most of chevy chase's movie career but yeah um yeah we, we'd be we'd be remiss if we also didn't talk about uh gary kibbe the cinematographer i remember watching yeah. the credits and kind of like oh I, I thought this was i thought it was dean cundy and being a bit upset that it wasn't dean cundy and yet then the film starts playing and it's so stark in how it's like it's just it's shat it's either shadow or light and there's really no in between and like really gets that that sense of like the forces that are at play here and also just once again the bleakness of like uh, it, it's uncomfortable basically well i'm back i'm glad you mentioned gary kibby because i didn't realize he died this year Oh really? Did he? He died okay. March 9th. Oh wow! Jeez, recently, yeah. Yeah, but like, I'm always like amazed. Like, you know, he he basically from Prince of Darkness on worked on basically all of um, Carpenter's stuff. Like, yeah, they live in the Mouth of Madness, Village of the Damned, Escape from L.A., Vampires, and Ghost Mar of Mars. Yeah, you know, he didn't do Memoirs of Invisible Man. He must have known that was a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> he also did Robocop three though. Which uh, uh, listen, everyone's got to get paid, James. It's Fred Decker, too, so I don't mind. And D Double D Dragon. Dean Cundy also shot, I believe... Oh, Dean Cundy did a lot of shit, which uh, I love. <laughs> uh, ba uh, Baby Geniuses, I believe, both of them or something. So, you know, pe people... They pe shot well. <laughs> yeah, people... <laughs> Listen, Janusz Kaminski shot uh, Cool as oh. Ice. 
I know. Actually, it's funny you mentioned that one because I think watching that with a group of people and everyone's like, why is the name? So-? I'm like, look them up. And they're like, oh my, what? This same friend who was a Carpenter fan, we lived together, we watched Cool as Ice, and I remember in the opening credits, we're like, this is really well shot. This is really yeah. strange. And then you see yeah. cinematography by Janusz Kaminski, like, oh, of course, that makes sense. Yeah, actually, Cool as Ice is a very guilty pleasure, because it's a, it's a bad movie, but it's it's shot really well. It's, uh, it's I don't know if you if you know of the, the We Hate Movies podcast, but it's their most, yes. one of their most recent episodes is about Cool as Ice. Really? Okay, because I like the riff tracks on Cool as Ice, too. They just tear it. They have a wonderful. Uh, they hypothesize that Vanilla Ice's character in that movie is an alien. That's the only way that it makes sense. <laughs> they, You're right. It does make sense though, because he does not act like a normal person. No, he does not. And and they have a wonderful recurring thread of um, Vanilla Ice playing chess against the Grim Reaper from the Seventh Seal. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd I'd watch that movie. Oh, I, w- I would too, uh, and it's great. But anyway, um, yeah, Prince of Darkness. Um, no, it, it's it's, it's remarkably effective. I do, I do want to talk. I want to nitpick just a little bit, just yeah, a, a, yeah. a little bit, because it, it wouldn't be a podcast without the nitpicking. Yeah, without you know, Jim specifically it. complaining about something. <laughs> it is an '80s horror film in the sense of the rules of the of the world don't necessarily make sense. And I, I don't I don't mean the sense of the grand, but okay. So for instance, there is this yeah. liquid in this tube. This yeah, green liquid that sprays on the one girl. For some people, it possesses them, uh-huh. but, but for one person, it oh. makes her the anti... Like, why Why is she the anti-god, but the others aren't? And I know that it says she's the chosen one, but why is she the chosen one? We didn't care about her. Look, like, they could have, like, if it was, like, a character that we got a little more backstory of, like, that they... Mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever. Like, they believed in something, and there was a little twinge, like, or... But it, you're right. It's kind of like eeny, meeny, miny, mo. The anti-god was like, let's see. Who do I... I got you. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, make Lisa Blount's character, make Catherine the anti-god. Because... And she's battling it throughout the movie. Yeah, and because then her sacrifice at the end resonates it's, a bit more. Right. Instead, like, she is battling... You know, she her sacrifice still is big, but it's like... Hmm? That sacrifice would have been much more heavy. Like, okay... Yeah. Damn. She knew she was never gonna fight it off, so she just, just you know, fights the anti god, and then you still have Donald Pleasance. Donald Pleasance has come in and shattered the the mirror, yeah, like yeah. last hope. Because we we know based on her conversations with Brian that she carries some baggage. You know, he has that line right. that he that he, uh, you know, yes, what you're right. Yeah. yeah. What what man can, like uh, gave you such a high opinion of men? You know, sarcastic. But we know she's got baggage. We know she's battling with something. Yeah. So let that battle play out with her being possessed. And then, because I remember thinking when she grabs um, Kelly, who is who becomes possessed by the anti-god, or, or I guess the anti-god's son, because the son is bringing the, the anti-god in. The it's Satan, theater. basically, yeah. is the liquid. Yeah, yeah, it's, again, it's weird. Like, he's on Earth yeah. or as this liquid, yeah. So, but, but just, I remember thinking after she grabs her and jumps into the mirror thinking why don't you just push her in <laughs> like you didn't have to jump in with her unless if you're the possessed one then you have to sacrifice yourself basically yeah i mean we, we could look at it as like them battling and like she was you know what i don't know yeah or did she while pushing her also she was grabbing her in or so i don't know it's a weird yeah, yeah. also because the way that the vision changes at the end when we see her in the church we already know yes. she's coming back as 
this anti-god thing. So just, you know, close that loop, basically. Yeah, it's it's almost something like maybe like the, like it's something like not off, but like something that they could have easily mm-hmm. edited to make it like perfect, you know, like a perfect, like yeah. tragic story, mm-hmm. but with redemption. But at the same time, it didn't do shit. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like, it's still going to go forward with it. It's just, yeah, you're prolonging the inevitable. Yeah, you know? because then then the rug is really pulled out from under you because you think, oh, she sacrificed herself like she saved the day. And then at the end, like, oh, oh, no, it, this was all mean. All of this was meaningless. Like, yeah, jeez, like, God damn it. What a, what a punch in the gut. Um, <laughs> but but I mean, even that that doesn't take away a lot from the movie for me. Um no, of course. And uh, and yeah, and I, this is one thought that I, I forgot that I bring in right now is I love the way that, because Carpenter wrote this after he read a whole lot of stuff about like um, quantum physics and differential equations and that sort of stuff. And he said he didn't understand a whole lot of it, but it still left an impression on him. So I, I like the fact that like a lot of Lovecraft stories, Cool Air, At the Mountains of Madness, The Color Out of Space... There is some scientific basis that he roots it in, which makes it more believable. Right. Then, yeah, I, I think the the combination of science, horror, and like a belief of something like a, a god or whatever the belief system is, is this perfect melding of like the best stuff of what Lovecraft did. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what this is. This is like diluted into this like perfect mixture of like okay. If you want to like, you know, it's almost like a film you want to go, okay, if you want to adapt a Lovecraft story, watch Prince of Darkness mm-hmm. for the feel, yeah. for the idea, for something that wasn't even adapted from Lovecraft. But it's almost like, don't watch many Lovecraft adaptations because you'll find all the stuff that they do wrong. Yeah. With the, you know what I mean? Like the addition of like tentacles and always having to throw the shoehorn in like some something like this. It's just anti-God. You don't know what it even looks like you just see a hand that's all you see is this like weirdly disgusting like hand and you know I, and I think the IMDB trivia says that um, mm-hmm. Alice Cooper or, or someone involved in the movie says that they want to see a sequel where we see the full anti-god I don't want to see the full anti-god I don't like that like and uh, don't get me wrong like talking about Hellraiser I don't mind seeing the hell Leviathan all this stuff but there's something about this movie like the way it ends the way why see it? Like, because it'll never match up to what you want to see it look like. Yeah, it'll yeah. it'll look you'll you'll it might look great. They might do a great like, you know, cool looking monster. But it's like, okay, that's what it looks like. Yeah. To me, yeah. it's like seeing just a hand in this antimatter trying to escape is scarier than seeing the whole thing. Yeah, that's it. You know, you know, if this thing comes out, it it we're dead. Yeah. Like, there's no hope and. Yeah, it's one of the few things that I think and this is going to be heretical to some people. <laughs> one of the few things I think that Event Horizon does well because overall I don't mm-hmm. think it's a good movie at all. It works. Like I, I enjoy it for what it, I mean. It's one that we'll cover at some point. Yeah, but but, but but even that that glimpse of once they see the footage of of what happened to the last crew and you just kind of see glimpses like oh my god that's horrible. And what's funny though is like all like those like gore effects and stuff was cut out. Yeah, because they didn't want to get a NC seventeen, <laughs> which is funny. That to me, it makes it work better. Yes, absolutely. Don't get me wrong. I, I want to see like a full cut one day, just to compare and contrast to see. But I think that's one time they did what they could with it, and like to show you glimpses of and show you like these, basically everyone trapped in their own hell. Mm-hmm. Like for those few seconds, you just see like 
mm. screaming and stuff. It's like, to me, like almost what's best about like mid to late '90s cinema, like when they do it well, like the whole um, I guess you could call it um, music video type crazy like f- frenetic you know yeah yeah imagery mm-hmm. it does it well yep and like yeah but like the film itself it's like yeah you know we who knows we might have to do at one point whenever we do um in the mouth of madness we'll have to do event horizon then we could do crazy sam neil <laughs> hell we could even throw in possession too i have not seen possession because it's funny oh, when, when you said possession the first thing i thought of was that jeffrey dean morgan movie oh with modest yahoo as the uh, the rabbi, I think so. Which was I was curious to see because the Diddick yeah. box is such a cool little piece of supernatural and like and specifically mm-hmm. kind of cultural horror that a lot of people don't acknowledge. Right. It, but it's not that good. It's it's it's, it's not good. Yeah, like I, I figured. I, I had a similar thing where I was like, okay, that's a cool idea. Like like a Jewish side of like mm-hmm. exorcism type of feel. Okay. James, any other uh, any other thoughts on on Prince of Darkness before we start wrapping up? No, I just think more people should see it, like, with um, new eyes. I think, like, it's a film, like you even said, like, a lot of people when they first saw it, and even, like, years after on video, would like it, but they were like, eh, you know, that was all right. That, that was... But I think if you look at it in a different light, especially just the pounding of, like, no hope, no hope, no hope. And, like, actually, it's, like, a very, it's a film that, like, through the years has like for my carpenter love has like it's in the top five like the thing is always number one that one just sticks with me Mm -hmm. i just love that film so much but prince of darkness is like kind of like fights a lot of them like you know big trouble little china always stays in it because of the fun i have with it but like Mm -hmm. halloween of course yeah but that's how i am with carpenter carpenter he to me had like one of those runs that like just quality genre cinema like and he could like bounce back and forth between horror action sci-fi without much of a problem with it like actually like like i don't think you get and then also doing the scores too because he just loved to do music mm-hmm. on top of everything else and like like that alone and then like the seeing him now this elder statesman and horror like and he just goes out there and performs his music and it's fantastic and like you know he said, like, like, like John Waters himself, like they've said, they want to direct more movies, but one, it has to be a good script if yep. they write it or someone else. And two, the money's got to be there. If the money's not there, why am I going to try at this age to make a low-budget film that's going to look like shit? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's how I feel. Like, I haven't rewatched it since I saw it in a film screening for, like, critics, but Carpenter's last movie, The Ward, The Ward. I did not like. It's bad. Because it doesn't feel like a Carpenter film at all. No. Like, that's how. That's what I remember from it, going, was that a Carpenter film? Did he just put his name on it? Like, it, there's no style. There's no, you know, there's nothing to it. It's just kind of like, oh, okay, evil asylum type. I don't know. It, I, I like that movie better when it was called Identity, basically. You know what? And, and... Yeah, that's probably why I felt like this is Carpenter. Yeah, it it, it did. F- it felt very derivative, and you you can say many things about Carpenter's work. Derivative is not. One no, of those that's things. why that's why it hurt me so much. Like yeah. it was like really like like because even like his bad films like Escape from L.A. It's not good, but there's something about it. You like okay, 
he's having fun. Kurt Russell's having fun. You have ridiculousness. You know, Ghost of Mars. That's a film that I actually like more than most people. But that's a film you could tell they took all the money away from him at the last minute, oh, and okay. he's like, uh, "What do I do? Um, okay, I can only do so much." And I love like Ice Cube. Recently, <laughs> they asked him, "Why did you do Ghost of Mars?" Because it was a weird film in his filmography, and he's like. Because I wanted to work with John Carpenter. <laughs> and that's kind of like what I love. Like, even Ice Cube just wanted to work with John Carpenter. Yeah. Didn't matter what the film was. It's like, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever. I, I liked Vampires a lot when I saw it. These days, Dude, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I can get past James Woods, man. It's funny you mention that because I recently, I forgot what place it was, but I got a bunch of, like, Scream Factory releases for, like, a good price. Mm-hmm. Like, some site. And one of the ones was Vampires. Because I'm like, you know what? I want to have, like, most basically most of Carpenter's stuff, like the best editions, I haven't watched it yet because I'm I'm the same boat as you. Like, and and knowing that, and a little side note for Carpenter, at first when I first saw it, I'm like, wow, this character is so offensive. He's like using like terrible, like you know, he's like homophobic, mm-hmm. like racist, piece of shit. But I'm like, okay, I guess Carpenter wrote that, and James Woods is. At the time, I didn't realize he was that much of a piece of shit. <laughs> but then, reading an interview with Carpenter, I forgot where it was, and them asking about it, he's like, oh, most of the dialogue that Woods does in certain scenes, he was just ad-libbing. And I just kept it in because it felt like his character. Yeah. And I kind of loved that little shade that Carpenter, because I could tell Carpenter didn't want to be like, oh, he's a piece of shit. I left it in. He's like more like, no, it fit the character. <laughs> it fit him. You know, yeah. it's like, and it's Carpenter basically going, yeah. I let him dig his own grave. Let them blame me, but I didn't write that in the script. Because one thing that you can say about Carpenter, really from probably the very beginning of his film career, was yeah. he was he seemed like a pretty progressive dude in the sense of who, how, yeah. how he tried to stack his film. I mean, like, uh, Assault on Precinct 13, yeah. is like, there's a, an African-American is one of like the lead characters in that. The one that we're following. He's a yeah, cop. he's a cop. Uh, you know? Halloween, I mean... Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, and, and even this one, I, I remember remarking to myself, yeah. like, this is, you know, he's got a lot of representation here, a lot of women characters, yeah. characters of, of, you know, people of color. Um, yeah. Always, and, and, and not, like, to draw attention to it, but just, like, yeah, of course I'm going to populate my, my film with these kind of, with these characters. And that's the thing, he's progressive in a way that he's not hammering it over your head. He's yeah. not going, look what I'm doing for people. <laughs> like, look, see, look. No, yeah. it's more like, no, I just... That these are the people I see in life, and mm. why wouldn't I change it? You know, yeah. And I kind of think that's why I go back to this film because they all feel like real people. Even the ridiculousness, you feel, even with these crazy things, they're still like normal people. Yeah. Even someone like Snake Plissken, where you're like, this character is so like over the top, like badass. But you know, ultimately, he's just a guy that just was a criminal, but he was like really good in the army. Mm-hmm. But he just, but he went against it. You know, it's like, oh, I can understand that. You know, especially in this world where it seems like you have New York as a freaking jail, <laughs> like a prison. Mm-hmm. Okay, shit's bad. Yep. You know, I know. I mean, Carpenter just every time like I see his name pop up, I always get scared. Like, oh no, no, did he pass away? Please don't. <laughs> like, because I, I, I think he has like one more film in him. I think he does. Like, it just has to be perfect. Netflix has to have the money for him, or Prime, Dude. or some someone out there. And I, and I think every time he tried, like, come on, like, I was reading an article of all the films that he almost made. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy when you see, like, people make fun of, like, Guillermo del Toro and, like, Quentin Tarantino. 
Carpenter had some crazy stuff. Like, he almost made a creature from the Black Lagoon. Hmm. Like, remake. Which, in, like, the 80s, early 90s, which I could have seen pretty pretty good stuff. Yeah. But, like, he just couldn't get it off the ground. Like, every time it was because of budget, really. Or, mm-hmm. or creative differences where he wanted to make it more, like in your face like something and then it's like no we want to make it more for everybody he's like no that's not what i that's not what i make mm-hmm. i make films and then people find it yep it's not made for like a specific group of people and i kind of love that about him he's just you tell he loved making films ever held from the start from dark star with dan o'bannon which i have to rewatch that because i just got that in the mail i'm like yeah <laughs> but like but that's what i love about the guy like hell he even made an elvis biopic yep for the tv with with kurt russell, kurt russell yeah more, more, more Carpenter love. That's all I say. <laughs> yep, I think so. But so, this has been Prince of Darkness. This was a fun one. But we, yeah. so we're continuing. Yes. Spiritual adaptations when it comes. to I'm Mozart. excited about this one too. Yeah. The, the the next episode we'll be talking about is 2016's The Void, written and directed by Jeremy Gillespie and Stephen Kostansky. I, as of this recording, haven't seen even one minute of this film. This is going to be a complete surprise for me. Okay. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna trump it up. I'm not gonna be like, oh, it's great. I'm just gonna say like, you, you'll you'll see where. Hell, I'll say this: you'll see where they're big fans of John Carpenter, and that's all I'll say. Cool. All right. Great. Cool. 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 Yeah. All right. And so... they're, and, they're, and they're cool guys too. Like, I mean, hell, they they do everything in their films. Like that's why if you look at their careers, like mm-hmm. Gillespie is like, uh, fit, like I think he's a first assistant art director on like Lock and Key. Oh, the cool. It films, okay. like The Shape of Water, Star Trek Discovery, the TV series. Nice. Like The Expanse, which is a very, very good um, sci-fi show on Amazon. Um, and then, like, Kostansky, he does, like, a lot of just, like, writing and stuff. He's more of the director, Kostansky, because it feels like he stays in that world a little bit more. But, like, Gillespie, to make the bills, you know, he's <laughs> like, I got to work. Of course. I mean, they, they did a film together called... Uh, father's day and trauma it's a all i'll say is look up the the craziness with trauma and how like growing up a big trauma fan i kind of soured on them a little bit when you learn of the backstory but then manborg come on manborg <laughs> you know like biocop and like like they, they make oh i didn't realize ooh, i didn't realize kostansky made leprechaun returns oh boy i haven't seen it Right. So I'm not, I, 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 but also, actually, a film that's getting a lot of press right now that looks pretty fun is Psycho Goreman that he made. <laughs> All right. And it's an alien that's – his name is Psycho Goreman, and he kills people horribly. And it, But it's like if you took the world of E.T. and then made it, like, R-rated. Fair enough. Which will tie in something else we're, we're developing soon, but I'm not going to say anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a lot like you're describing the unmade Night Skies. Screenplay, yes right? oh there you go yeah, but, um, <laughs> but yeah that that's that's been a, a prince of darkness it's we are always curious to hear from uh our, our listeners all three or four of them um shoot us a six now Come on. yeah <laughs> one step closer to ten um <laughs> email us at a you uh no i'm sorry i was about to plug my own podcast that's that's incorrect <laughs> movies of madness at gmail.com um, we are on Twitter as me, Nolan Fixes Thief, James is Fistful of Media, or Cast Cthulhu. Um, there was something else I was going to plug. Oh, right. Um, James will also be a guest on I Do Movies Badly. Basically, after this recording is done, we're d- jumping into that one. Where he'll be talking about uh, the films of John Sayles, which I'm 
eager about because uh, he's a fascinating character that I know basically nothing about. So, um, even better. <laughs> yeah. But so, thanks for listening to this uh, next week or next time. We'll be talking about 2016's The Void, but in the meantime, we'll be waiting and dreaming with dead Cthulhu in his house in Relia. <laughs> <laughs>